Let's go ahead and get started. Let's begin with a word of prayer. So, um, um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, Almighty and merciful God, defend your church from all false teaching and error, that your faithful people may confess you to be the only true God and and rejoice in your 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 good gifts of life and salvation through Jesus Christ your son our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever amen, amen. all right so last week we started our study on free will um and, and it may sound like a lot of more of the same but you'll hear you know, we're, we're going to be hearing a lot about um, how awful we are <laughs> uh, and, and, and really just how, how our will is bound to sin naturally as a part of the fall, right? And, and, and what it is that God does uh, in spite of that, you know, sinful will. And so there's going to be a lot of reminding ourselves of what it is that we, you know, naturally are inclined to do. Um, what it is we can't do by ourselves, and we'll, we'll just go in there because um, last time, and I'll just read through the introduction again. Um, that free will has always been a topic in both in both philosophy and theology, especially when it comes to the place of man's will and salvation. The topic of free will is of highest importance. Um, um, Errors regarding free will are constantly pushing their way into the church's teaching. It was no different in the years after the death of, 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 excuse me, of Martin Luther. The theologians of the church gathered up the teaching of the scriptures regarding our will and its freedom and powers. In this series of studies, we will let them guide us to the scriptures and its truth and comfort. And these. All the um, non-italicized portions are from the the Formula of Concord Solid Declaration, Article Two, um, and this is all in, in public domain and whatnot. So we're not infringing on copyright or anything like that by having this here. Uh, there are a lot of scriptures scriptures in the study. The most important texts are marked with the 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 uh, the excuse me the double asterisk. Okay. Um, so we'll begin with the opening psalm, Psalm, uh, psalm 80, verses 1 through 7. I'll do the parts that are unbolded, and y'all just say the parts that are bolded, okay? Um, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your mind and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. So this first part is on uh, the, the capacity to accomplish spiritual things is denied to man's will. So from the, from the Formula of Concord Solid Declaration, we see, Therefore the scriptures deny to the intellect, heart, and will of the natural man all aptness, skill, capacity, um, and ability to think, to understand, to be able to do, to begin, to will, to undertake, to act, to work, or to concur, or to concur, in working anything good and right in spiritual things as of himself. So, uh, like I said, we're going to be flipping around in our Bibles today. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3.5. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians comes after 1 Corinthians, in case you know. Uh, Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse five. Uh, who would like to just read that quick verse for us? Sorry. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficient sufficiency is from God. From God. Yeah, that, it just kind of cuts off there, right? So what does Paul deny in this verse? These are questions you have really have to think about a little bit because he asks them in a really good way, I think, makes you think. What does Paul deny in this verse? That we can do anything for our salvation. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, what does it say about our sufficiency? Totally lacking. Yeah, we have no self-sufficiency in that sense, right? It sounds like it more than just salvation, too. Yeah, I, I would say that, and, and we'll see that later on, too, at the end of the study, how um, it's more than just salvation. It's actually also what we do and what we say and all these things like that, <laughs> right? So we are so insufficient in ourselves in all kinds of ways, probably like in, in, in every way. Uh, and we'll see how that how how that pans out, right? Uh, so our self he he denies our self our self sufficiency, and, and and maybe that's why I'll just go ahead and throw this out here at the very beginning. Maybe that's why Lutheranism is not very popular in America. You ever thought about that? Maybe Lutheranism is not very popular in America because what is a popular kind of conception of Christianity? In the United States. We can do it. It's up to us. Yeah. It's up to me. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I can do it. I can, if I can dream it, I can do it. You know, I follow my heart, follow my passion. I'll just do it. You know, self-sufficiency all the way. Rugged individualism, that sort of thing, right? And that's why you get a lot of churches that go down that vein uh, in a spiritual sense too, and uh, totally miss the fact that Scripture is very clear, and we'll, we're going to hit a lot of Scripture, actually, to see how insufficient we are in the spiritual matters. I mean, on some level, we are sufficient in the horizontal realm, right? I'm, I'm, I can be sufficient enough to take my trash out 
when it's trash day. I, I'm, I can be self-sufficient enough to water my lawn or, you know, feed my animals, feed my kids, whatever, um, provide um, a life for my family. But, I mean, all those things, and we're going to see later on, what does Jesus say about, you know, being a part of the vine, right? That apart from him, you can do nothing, nothing right? So, um, and that is something that I've heard a lot of people who are in the realm of evangelicalism, non-denominationalism, whatever, that, that when they're presented with all the points of Scripture that just talk about how weak and helpless and frail and dead we are by ourselves, that I actually had a man tell me who's, who's you know, um, uh, I, in all accounts, uh, you know, a, a faithful man who was in that realm of thinking that, you know, he made a decision for Christ and all these things like that. And, 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 and that he was presented with these things and he said, I, I can't believe he said this. He said, I knew I needed to trust God. I just didn't know I needed to trust him that much. Right? How, but thanks be to God, he was presented with that at some point in time and realized just how much he really does need to rely on God. Yeah. Um, any thoughts about that before we go on? Well, I'm just wondering... As you were saying, in this country, perhaps around the world too, you know, um, we do need to take care of earthly things and we're sufficient in taking care of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Is that truly what this is talking about? Um, I mean, if, if we read the context, right? Um, or is this about the spiritual? I mean, totally get that, that yeah. we, we aren't able to do anything for ourselves. Um, but God gave us brains to figure out right. how to take care of ourselves. <laughs> right. Right. But, right. The, but, but the thing is, is that as far as when it says, so if you look at before, it says, uh, yeah, this is primarily salvation, right? Okay. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered uh, by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. <laughs> Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be to be to be to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So um, primarily I would say that it is spiritual, but at the same time, if our lives, I, I think this is another problem we have, uh, and I have it too, you know, it's, it's, it's a battle of the flesh that um, the old Adam, the old sinful flesh, wants to grab onto whatever he can that says, that's mine, I did that, right? As opposed to if we are now new creatures in Christ, everything good that we do is because God has given us the capacity to do so, given us the strength, the will, right, to do the good things that need to be done. So I guess primarily what it is is a shift in perspective and you say, yeah, someone can feed the hungry. It doesn't have to be a Christian. But in the end, that person's still going to be hungry. Um, and, and, and you can clothe somebody and, and, and that clothing can last for a certain time. But if you don't give them what they need to, 
robe themselves in the, the righteousness of Christ, then you know those garments wear out, but what you give them with Jesus won't ever wear out, right? So I guess, the, I guess that's the, the, the shift in perspective, right? It's, it's to kind of get us to think of, yes, it's true, I can feed myself, I can take care of myself, um, but sometimes those things get in the way and, and in the sense that we think that that also can extend to spiritual matters as well. Um, like, how many times have you all heard someone saying, you know, oh, that person has such a strong faith, right? And it's like, great, but what's, what's, what is my refrain whenever anybody says, I've got faith or they've got faith? What faith I say, in what? Yeah, faith in what? <laughs> what is their faith in? It, and, and you can have a strong faith, but is what you have your faith in stronger, right? And so I think that's helping to shift the perspective a little bit. Um, not that, you know, we can't say, well, I guess, yeah, we can say it's like, yeah, I guess people who feed, feed the homeless and whatnot, that's, you know, a good thing, but apart from faith, it's not as good as it could be, right? It's not as good as it could be. Um, to say it very... Uh, charitably, I guess you right. Any other thoughts on that? Christian freedom. How does? <laughs> yeah. How does that? How do you define it? Uh, that's I a, guess. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, you got free will and Christian freedom. I mean, I. I know. I think I know what free will is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Christian freedom seems. To cover a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, it it it's a big question, um, and free will is only free when it's in Christ. So we'll just have to make that very plain right now. Free will is only free in Christ. In and of ourselves, um, um, in and of ourselves, we can do nothing good in God's eyes, right? And so our free will is, is tainted with sin. And so, um, what was I gonna say? Sorry, just got a text that threw me off a little bit. Um, Christian freedom though, is that once we are in Christ and you know, let's say um, we both want to feed the hungry, right? You want to feed them with corn, and I want to feed them with uh, steaks. I don't know. Either way, they're going to get fed. One might be debatably more sustain, you know, sustainable or sustaining than another. But there's Christian freedom in saying, like, how are we going to feed somebody, right? Or how are we going to clothe somebody? Um, uh, and, and, and it's all meeting the same ends, but just as to the how, you know, those, those things can, I mean, that's a very simple explanation, but, um, when you're achieving the same ends of good works that God desires and requires, right. Um, then, I mean, the how is within the realm of Christian freedom. Yeah. So like, I want to feed somebody by giving to like orphan brain train, or you want to feed somebody by, um, contributing to the Red Cross or something, I don't know, right? So it's just like a debate, debate about how we're going to do that. Yeah. But the end goal is still ideally the same. It's within the realm of wisdom. 
That's a hard thing to give a clear-cut answer on is wisdom. Yeah. Any other questions about that? Okay, we're getting, coming up on a special note here with the uh, double asterisk. So uh, Romans 3.12. We kind of touched on Romans chapter 3 last time. So let's turn on Romans 3.12. Aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So, another cheery, cheery verse, right? <laughs> We're all worthless. Yeah, in this verse and those before and after, Paul has assembled the testimony of the Psalms concerning our sinfulness. Our condition is bleak. What words does this verse use? Uh, to describe our sinfulness and our capacity to do spiritual things. What does he say? Worthless. Worthless, yeah. What else? Turned aside. Turned aside. Mm-hmm. No one does good. Mm-hmm. Not even one. I'll just finish that out. Yeah. <laughs> and we laugh probably kind of nervously, and you go, oh, man, hmm. I mean, it doesn't really say much for our self-esteem, does it? Uh, so it's one of those things like, well, what, what's God trying to do in this passage and in all these passages? Uh, and is this good? And our, our temptation is to say, well, I don't like that. <laughs> right? I don't like when God tells me that I'm worthless. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that uh, I hear about how I've, all have turned aside. Well, how does he mean all? What I haven't turned aside, right? But he's talking about the natural state of man, right? the natural fallen sinful nature that we have, that we're born with, that needs to be changed, yeah? So um, our capacity to do spiritual things is just zero. It's absolutely zero. Maybe even in the negatives, right? I would even say it's probably in the negatives, um, it is actively hostile toward God. And we're going to see that later on as well. Um, and, and, and we're not going to stay here. Let me just say that right here. We're not going to stay in this place of uh, talking about how we are worthless in, in, in God's eyes apart from us. So like worthless in the sense that um, you know, we can't do anything of worth. Okay. Um, so that is different than being loved by God in spite of the worthlessness that we have, right? Uh, that's, that's a whole, that's the other side of the coin, which we're going to get to. But right now we're on one side and it's a very uncomfortable side. Uh, any, any thoughts about that? It's the side without God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the side that hates God, that struggles against God, that, uh, keeps pushing more and more against him. The yeah. Well, it's the thing that the devil tries to tease out, right? Um, um, it's, it's the part of us that, that the devil tries to entice. Yeah. Cause he can't, he can't touch the new man, right? The new creation, but he can, he can coax the old Adam. Right. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? It's kind of a call to, a lot of the gospel is repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a turning Here's where you've done, done wrong. 
turn around and face God rather than walking away. Right, yeah. Like we say that there's like the gospel in the broad sense and then there's the gospel in in the uh, the gospel is in the broad sense, you know, the entirety of, you know, law and gospel and things like that. And then there's a the gospel in the 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 excuse me, the narrow sense that that specifically talks about salvation one through Christ. But yeah, I mean, that's, but it's all wrapped up together, right? I mean, repentance and faith, they go hand in hand and, and God's law is just as much of a gift as God's gospel. Yeah, This is law, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's law that's going to crush you down, but it crushes you down so that God can reassemble you in the way that you're supposed to be and make you into what you're meant to be. Yeah. Okay. Any, any other thoughts about that? Are we going? He's sure working hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> he works. He works pretty hard on all of us, if you really think about it. I, mean, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's carrying you through. I, yeah, yeah right. he is. He's, he's right. carrying you through it. Yeah. He's got you in his arms and carrying you through it every yeah. day, every night. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna hear sometime uh, tonight for the. Uh, sermon you know I'm be talking about how Jacob wrestled with God right, right? And so that's 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 something else right yeah. uh, I'll save that for tonight though um, so let's turn to John 8 Wants to read John I know eight. you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Okay, and so who who is he talking to? I have no idea. He's talking to the Jews, right? Um, oh, okay. They're in. Uh, uh, yeah, he's speaking to the Jews, and they're saying um, he's saying to the Jews who believed in him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Forget about the Exodus, right? Um, forget about Egypt. <laughs> How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So what does the word of Jesus have, what place does the word of Jesus have in the unbelievers? Does it have a place? I mean, those who would seek to kill Jesus, do they believe in him as to what he said, who, who he is and everything like that? No. They're unbelievers, right? They are unbelievers. And so he is saying, you desire to kill me because my word finds no place in you. That is to say that you know, if Jesus was here today, right, he showed up and he started saying and doing all the things that he was saying and calling people to repentance, right, and faith. Uh, and, and, and I mean, it's no question as to what they would try to do to him, right? I mean, what, a, what does the world try to do to Christians who try and speak out about the truth about 
all the things that we're dealing with today, sexuality and, 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 you know, um, pronouns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's all tied into the same stuff, right? Like the God's creation. You say, no, God created you as a man. You're not a woman. God created you as a woman. You're not a man. Right. And then they say, it's like, you're trying to say that trans people don't exist. And I go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And they'll say, you want us dead. And I go, well, I want you dead to your sin. I don't want you physically dead. I want to help you and make sure that that you're going to actually live the life that God created you to live. And it's not in confusion of who you are and what God made you to be. Because you're, and they'll say, that's just biology. It has nothing to do with our spirit. And it's like, wow, that's so Gnostic. That's yeah. not, I, don't, I don't even know what to say to you right now. You all know about Gnosticism, right? It was, it was this complete distinct separation of the body and the soul that I can do whatever I want to my body and my soul is not going to be affected. You know, the soul is the important part. The body doesn't mean anything. And you go, whoa, well, which one did God create again? Both of them, right? So you got to go with saying, well, God made me to be a man biologically and therefore that affects my spirit. And how many people do you see, and I hate to get on this tirade, but I mean, it's just one of the examples you'll, 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 you'll face is that um, there's this lie of like, God made me this way. No, God didn't make you to be homosexual or, or transgender. He didn't make you to be that. You have been perverted by sin. And when you say that, even though you're just speaking words, I mean, that's really what Jesus did. He just spoke words. He didn't bring a sword to anybody. You know, he didn't, he didn't kill anybody. He brought people back from the dead. Right? And he saved them by healing them. And yet, what they wanted to kill him for was primarily what he had to say. And so nowadays, if you say these things, they want you dead. Right? Either by their own hand or indirectly by canceling you and saying, I'll make sure you never work in the job that you're trained for ever again. You'll never get a job because you'll be... Uh, you'll be persona non grata, right? You'll be just this societal leper. You'll never be able to be touched. You'll be forever unclean and no one will ever hire you. Got to gotta go work at like McDonald's or something like that for the rest of your life, if they'll even have you. I mean, that is, that is literal murder. That's what they're trying to do to people who speak the truth. So does that mean that anybody who tries to do that, even though someone is speaking the truth about what God's word says, are they more likely a believer or an unbeliever? I'd say they're more likely an unbeliever than anything. I mean, we don't know their hearts, but by their actions, they make a confession, right? So that just goes to show you how far gone some people are, right? And we can use that as, as, as a warning for ourselves to make sure that we don't get so far gone either, yeah? Any, any thoughts about that? I know I just kind of threw a big political bomb in the center of the table there, but... But I mean, it has theological understandings, right? We, we, theology is is was a, was at one point in time known as the queen of the sciences. That to be a theologian, like a top level theologian, was better than being a doctor or a lawyer or even a king on some level. Like you knew so much because it had something to say about every facet of life. Yeah. Any thoughts about that? I don't know if I'm giving you a lot to think about, but um, I'm going to take a little sip of water here, give you time to think.
Okay? So those who would seek to kill someone because of the word of God that they're speaking, I'd say that they are, that the word finds no place in them and that they are, by all external accounts, unbelievers, right? Externally, we can say that. They're acting as if it is so. Um, so, um, the, verses, the verses considered in part one of the study also fit into the argument here. Remember John 1, 5 and 1 Corinthians 2, 4. Just something to keep in mind that uh, the word says, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Um, I'm just par paraphrasing these two verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 you know, that the Spirit of God is uh, foolishness to the, the, the natural man, that someone who is not saved, someone who does not have Christ in their lives, you know, who's not a Christian, they will look at the Spirit of God and say, that's just ridiculous. It's just foolishness, right? They just don't get it, right? Um, and then this next little sentence here from the... Formula of Concord, solid declaration. Uh, much less will he truly believe the gospel or assent thereto and regard it as truth, right? Leading in from the thing thing before where it says, you know, that that um, the scriptures deny to the intellect, the heart, the will of the natural man, all those things, right? Uh, um, to work or to concur in working anything good and right and spiritual things as of himself, much less will he truly believe the gospel or assent thereto and regard it as truth. Okay. Now we're going to jump to Romans 8, verse 7. Here you are flipping pages there. Sounds like you're going. Romans 8, verse 7. Uh, who wants to read 8, verse 7 for us? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Yeah, okay. Oh, go no, ahead. No, no, no. Uh, oh, indeed it cannot, right? Yeah. That's the next part. Yeah. Right. So yeah, even stronger. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. So these are all very basic questions, but it helps to reiterate and speak back what scripture speaks to us is the mind of the flesh subject to the law of God that question there is the mind of the flesh subject to the law of God is it yes all, all things are subject to the law of God right? okay so I guess you're right but the thing is is that um is it subjected, or it does it? My better question, I think, would be better said: Is the mind of the flesh flesh submit submissive to the law of God? No, that's no. a different question, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and that's really what I think is getting is is really being point, pointed out here. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Can it? Can it submit? Can the flesh, the mind of the flesh, submit in itself? No. no. That's not what Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul says, no, it cannot. That, that is to say, that this is all just, again, highlighting. What do I mean by flesh? What do I, what do I mean by spirit? Do you all know what I mean by those things? The flesh and the spirit? Um, the flesh being our natural being, 
uh, apart from God? Our sinful self. Our sinful self, right. The old Adam, the sinful flesh. So when you say that um, the mind that is set on the flesh, the mind that is set on the sinful side of ourselves, right? The thing that is inclined to sin, that is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Uh, and then it says those, and then verse 8 is, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? Um, they may be able to please other people, but they cannot please God. Um, so that's just getting further and further down, huh? Isn't this a great little pep talk I'm giving y'all? Um, it sure is. Terrible. Uh, but that's who we are. That's who we are apart from Christ. Um, and, in a, and then the next, on the next page here, we're just going to keep on pushing through. And in a word, it, this is from the Solid Declaration, and in a word, it remains eternally true what the Son of God says. Without me, ye can do nothing. Right? John 15, 5. How does that verse teach that our will has no capacity to accomplish spiritual things? Without me, you can do nothing. How does that teach us about how our will has no capacity to accomplish spiritual things? We have to put everything in God's hands. Can't do it on our own. Can't do it on your own. We have to do what now, Shirley? Put everything in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That is very hard. The flesh doesn't like that. Yeah? Um, yeah, I mean, when you tell people, and I've, and I've had this discussion with people um, where... Someone has asked me, he's like, so you're telling me that someone that spends their entire life in charity, in feeding and clothing and giving people homes and, and, and helping people and all these things like that, that if they're not a Christian, that's all for nothing? And, and, and I, I had to say, yeah, it is. I mean, because why are they doing it? If it's not for Christ, why are they doing it? Maybe, I mean, and, and even if they, even if they say over and over again, I'm not doing this for myself, I'm doing it for them. You still go, well, okay. So I, again, why, why are you doing it for them? So that they'll be clothed and fed now. Okay. What about later? What about their eternal soul? And that's where you get into the issue of saying, you know, well, whether they believe or not. And they'll say, well, I, you know, that's not, that's, that's not really important to me. I want to help them now. And you go, wow, what about later? So you're saying that, and that's where you can kind of dig to the root of these things. You say, I'm sorry, I'll get to you in just a second. I was just going to say, like, when you say these, when, when, when you say to some people, it depends on what they say, right? If, so, if they're not a Christian, they say, I don't believe in God, but I want to help people. You go, why? Um, and you say, why? And they'll say, well, because I want to help them now. And you go, what about later? Are they not going to be able to survive without you? That's a big question. It's like, so without you, they won't eat. Without you, they won't get clothed. So who is your God? Chances are it's probably you. Uh, chances are it might be them. Or chances are it might be other people's acclaim. It just depends, right? Either way, it's not focused on the one true God and what he would have you do. Yeah? Even though it looks like what a Christian does. Um, 
And we're finding out, this is, I think, a really tough issue because we're finding out that, um, uh, what is it? We're finding out that um, our society, which has, our civilization really has been built on the Christian faith. You know, Western civilization has been Christian for how many hundreds of thousands of years, right? Uh, not like hundreds of thousands, but you know, how many hundreds of years has Christianity been uh, the, the foundational bedrock of the Western civilization that now you have atheists who are saying, I'm, I'm technically more of a Christian because I do more good works than you do as a Christian. And you go, well, that's not what it's all about. Like they're living on the ashes, I guess, of, of, of the predominantly Christian culture. And now Christianity is on, you know, the down slope, I guess, or on it's waning so much. And other people, like they're benefiting from hospitals and colleges and all, and, and just the institutions started by Christians to teach them the faith. And they just gutted them and rotted them out from the inside by teaching all this other nonsense that has nothing to do with Jesus, right? And so it's really kind of hard because you get people who are in a tough spot saying people who feed and clothe, they do good things. It's like not in God's eyes, not in God's eyes. And that's a really hard thing to get across to some people because it is good. It looks like a good work. It sounds like a good work. It is a good work, but only in this life. And God cares about both now and all eternity. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to drive that home right now. So, Holly, what are you going to say? It makes me think of the um, the two men in the church that, that in the synagogue, one was ranting and raving and praising and with his hands up in the air and look at me and how much I've donated. The Pharisee and, and the publican. Yeah. The Pharisee and the publican. Because if they were really doing it and it's not about them, then one would not know it was them that had done the good works. Yeah. And sometimes that happens, right? I don't see a whole lot of Yeah, that. I don't I know. Used, Maybe not I a used, lot. I used to, used to volunteer for the Red Cross. Oh my gosh, I couldn't hardly stand it. Because it was all self-aggrandizement. Look at how we've brought all this food and water and we've, we've built their homes. And look at what we've done. We've, oh, this has been so rewarding. And, and God's blessed everybody. And it's like, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop yeah. standing on the roof and, and shout how wonderful you are there. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, what is it? What is it that God? What is it that Jesus says that we? What's what's what, what's the attitude we should have? And I, forget, and I feel bad. I feel. I think it's in Luke. I could be wrong, but where Jesus says, you know, what about those servants when the master comes home, um, and and they and and they're doing all that they're supposed to do, and he comes back. What are they supposed to say, or what are they expected to say? We only did what was given for us to do. We are unworthy servants, right? Like, we don't point to ourselves. I mean, if we were to do something great, you know, raising so much money for something like that, we're not going to we're not gonna um, tell everybody, you know, saying, you know, look how great we are that we raised so much money or got so many cans. We can say it's like God has blessed us and that we're able to feed these people and, and it was only what was given for us to do. And that's it. Glory be to God only. That's all. 
Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it gets a little dicey, a little mixed in with things, because that could be praise for God, but it can easily turn into things of saying, yeah. you know, look at look at all the things we've done. Uh, so it's it's kind of a fine line, and like St. Paul also says, take heed to watch yourselves lest you fall. Right? Just be careful. Be careful how you do these things. Um, not so much to where you have to be neurotic about it. It's like, oh, how do I talk about how we fed people? It's like, well, just say God... God, God blessed us with the ability to do so. Yeah, it's really that simple. Really that simple. Any other thoughts? And yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Pharisee and the publican because we talked about that last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so there we go. And Paul writes, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So who is working in our willing to do good? God. God is, right? Whose working is excluded? Our working. That's right. So God does the good works. Our works are excluded in that we don't get any of the credit. We're just instruments, right? A hammer doesn't boast about how well he hit that nail, right? A screwdriver doesn't boast about how well he turned the screw. You know, but it was the hand that turned it. It was the hand that used, you know, and that's God's hand using us. Yeah. And, and that, in some sense, is a big relief. I think it's a big relief because if it's all on me, you know, if the credit goes to me, then I also get the credit when things are messed up. <laughs> you know, I get the credit when, when things are messed up. And so, and so it's like, it's, it's all on me. But if the good things go to God, um, then whatever bad that comes of it, possibly, you know, nothing in this world is perfect, but whatever bad may come from that, God can also still use that for good in spite of the sinfulness, right? In spite of it. You just never know. You never know. So um, that next part here from the, um, form, the Formula of Concord, to all godly Christians who feel and experience in their hearts a small spark or longing for divine grace and eternal salvation, this precious passage is very comforting. For they know that God, is kin that, that God has kindled in their hearts this beginning of true godliness, and that he will further strengthen and help them in their great weakness to persevere in true faith unto the end. That's wonderful, isn't it? So Philippians 2.13, God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God does it all. <clears throat> Any other questions about that before we go on to the next part? <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. This is where it gets kind of interesting. I think I thought this was a really interesting part here because we're getting out of the whole issue of... Um, <clears throat> we're still in the issue of who we are before God, what it is we can do in and of ourselves. And now we're getting into what we do as those who have been redeemed by God. <clears throat> so it says the prayers of the saints are also a proof of their, excuse me, are also, the prayers of the saints are also a proof of their, um, 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 are also proof of their inability to accomplish spiritual things through their own resources. 
Um, here belong also the prayers, uh, also all the prayers of the saints in which they pray, that they may be taught, enlightened, and sanctified by God. And by this very act declare that they cannot obtain those things which they ask of God from their own natural powers, as in Psalm 119 alone, David prays more than ten times that God would impart to him understanding that he might rightly comprehend and learn the divine doctrine. So Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. Uh, to get a taste of the psalm, let's, let's read Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Because Psalm 119 is about a, is it is 176 verses, so uh, but yeah, so you're gonna find Psalm 119 verses 17 through 24. Who wants to read that for us once you get there? Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will mediate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselor. Is that mediate or meditate? Meditate. <laughs> it's like, it will mediate. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> that's, a different, that's, that's a different meaning of that. Um, <clears throat> your servant will meditate on your statutes. Yeah. So what things does David pray for in these verses? What do you see there? What is... What does he pray for? Obedience. Okay. Yeah, he prays for obedience to God's law. What else? Acceptance. Acceptance of... Uh, his, his needs in his uh, house. Who's, okay, so whose acceptance? That David would be... David. David would accept... Uh, no, Christ would accept his... His failures. Oh, okay, yeah. Deal bountifully with your servant. Mm -hmm. um, hide not your commandments. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay, I can see that. Um, what else is he praying for? <clears throat> what does he pray that God would do for him? Take away the scorn and contempt. Which verse is that? Uh, 22. Mm -hmm. What about verse 18? Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Yeah. Um, that he can't open his own eyes to see these things. He's asking God to do it for him. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Otherwise... I'm going to look at it, and it's just going to be a jumble of words that don't mean anything to me, right? I mean, how many people do you know 
well, you probably don't know them personally, but I know of people like, um, I think it was a, he's, he's a very famous atheist, Penn Gillette. He's a magician, right? You know, Penn and Teller, if you ever heard of them. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, <coughs> I've heard him say, they're, they're actually pretty vulgar, so don't check them out. Um, <laughs> uh, so don't bother about those guys. But this is, a, I just use him as, as, as an example because I've heard him say on one level, he said, you know, he's an atheist. <clears throat> and he says, well, his reasons for his atheism don't matter right now for this discussion. But he, he says, I do read the Bible. I read the Bible because it's interesting to me. You know, um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to see what I, he, he said, because he can see the usefulness of some of these things. He can see the usefulness on a practical level of living in a certain way. But other stuff, he, just, he doesn't understand, he doesn't get, he doesn't, he doesn't want it. Like he's just, it's like, I don't understand the Old Testament laws. I don't understand that. And so he's just reading it and it, he's reading it really in vain because he's not reading it with eyes of faith, right? Um, and, and he's so hardened in his own heart and seared in his own conscience that he just says, I don't need to pay attention to those things because they don't mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't get them. I don't understand them. So I don't see the point in them. Doesn't matter to me. <clears throat> so God has not... He has still hidden his will from him and others like him, right? So what David is saying is that he needs to have his eyes brought open, right? To see the wondrous things out of God's law, out of his instruction and his commandments, right? Any, anything else? What else does David pray for in these verses? What does he say in verse 21? You rebuke the insolent, cursed ones who wander from your commandments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in, in a sense, he's praying. He's asking that this be done because he says, this is what you do, right? Please keep doing it. Um, because otherwise, who would ever be saved if you don't do those things, right? Um uh, so, yeah, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies, right? And implied is faithfully, right? That's implied, faithfully. Because um, this isn't a prayer apart from faith, right? Um, so how do these prayers teach us that apart from the Lord's work, David is not able to learn and love the Lord's word. Well, he knows he can't. He knows he can't understand it without uh, God's intervention. Uh, Seventeen that I may live and keep your word. Mm -hmm. You know, open my eyes. Um, mm -hmm. Don't hide your commandments from me. Yeah. So show them to me. Yeah. And they're God's commandments too, right? They're right. God's law. They're his instruction. This isn't something that David came up with himself. He's asking that God, he's praying to God that he would give him these things and, and have him see these things for what they are. Um, that apart from the Lord's word and his work, he can't see anything for what it for what it is, as far as what God wants him to do, yeah. 
For your testimonies are my delight, and they are my counselors. Yeah. Okay, any other thoughts on that? Before we move on to what St. Paul has to say in his prayers? <laughs> Okay, um, Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 18. So let's turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 18. Uh, we'll have somebody read that, and then we'll just kind of talk about the context as well. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is opening his um, letter and giving this thanksgiving and prayer. Um, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he says what the prayers are, right? Um, and then after that, he says, you know, and what is the, what is, um, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places and goes on from there, right? So what is Paul's prayer for the people of Ephesus? What is he praying for, for them? To give them wisdom mm -hmm. and revelation. Yeah. In y'all's Bibles, is that... Is is the word spirit capitalized with the S? Yes. Yeah. That's a that's that's from the translators, right? Who I mean in in the Greek it's not necessarily capitalized to show the emphasis, but that is to say, when he talks about the spirit of wisdom, and that's by extension the spirit of of revelation and the knowledge of him, that is which spirit? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's right. So should it be capitalized? Um, Ours is not. Oh, yours is Mine, not? Mine's not. Okay, so y'all have the 2001 ESV, because that's the study Bible, right? And this is the 2016 ESV. I think that that would, like I said, it's the editorial comment. I'd prefer it capitalized, but then ESV also doesn't capitalize the pronouns for God, you know, yeah. like capital H, he, capital H, him kind of stuff. Talk about pronouns. Uh, <laughs> you know, but they, they don't capitalize the pronouns. I wish they would, honestly. Uh, so, but if you tried to do that throughout your entire Bible, you'd, you'd have a full day. Um, uh, that's, as I go along. yeah, right. Huh? I do it as I go along. Yeah, you do it as you go along. That's good. That's good. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that is the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ, right? Of God. Um, having the eyes of your hearts, I guess, lightened up, right? That yeah. you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, Yeah. Um, that he would do as David prayed in Psalm 119, verse 17, right? 
Open my eyes that I may see. Or I guess it was verse 18. It doesn't matter, but Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous works of your law, the wondrousness of what you have said. Um, so he's praying for the same things. May you give, may God give um, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, um, of God. So how does this prayer show that knowledge of God and understanding come from God? How does it do it? I guess, let me make it a little bit easier. What doesn't he talk about? Who doesn't have the power? We don't have the power. That's right. He's only talking about what who is doing. He. What God is doing, right? He, that's right. Thank you for that pronoun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what he is doing, um, what God is doing, and what he wishes and what he prays that God would do. Yeah, I mean, he does it by only speaking about what God does and not what we do, because right? we because we can't do anything for our salvation. Uh, we can't do anything in terms of God seeing our good works as good. It's all what He does. Yeah. Um. Any any thoughts about that before we move on to what will be pretty much our last our last couple parts here? Because we're looking at prayers, and I think this, this, this may even help your own prayers, too, right? may help your own prayers when you pray. All right, so nothing else on Ephesians 1? Everybody's good on that? How about Colossians 1, 9? Colossians 1, 9. Philippians, sorry, Colossians comes right after Philippians... Right before Thessalonians. So Colossians 1 9. <laughs> Who wants to read that for us? I will. Okay. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay. Um, yeah, and so there's, there's, there's a context there. I guess verse 10 is also, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So notice the things Paul is praying for, and remember, because like the, the, the things he's asking for in his prayer there um, from God... Uh, is really in verse 9 there, right? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, rem and remember that our prayers are also a confession of what we lack. 
you know? We don't, we don't pray for the things that we have, you know? I, I, that would that, that, that'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Like, uh, God, I pray that I would have, you know, a car to drive. Oh, wait, I do. Sorry. It doesn't make sense, right? You pray for the things you lack. Yeah, you're asking for the things you need. But you also give thanks to the Lord for what he's given you. Right. That is a thanksgiving, but when you pray, prayers, strictly speaking, you can say, you know, prayers begin with thanks for what I have, but they always wind up with this is what I need, right? Because otherwise, because when you pray, yeah, yeah, when you pray, you, you of course, you of course give thanks to God. I mean, I... I, I every time I pray, I try to have a formula that I follow, and, and it's just a basic outline that I begin with the thanksgiving, and then I move on to what it is that I need based on the promises of God, and then you know through Jesus Christ our Lord and things like that. Right? Um, that's a good structure for prayer because it keeps us in mind of what He's given us, what He's blessed us with, and now we ask God, will You bless us more? <laughs> will You give us more that we need? And we're asking because you're our Heavenly Father, right? That's what the small catechism talks about with the Lord's Prayer. As, as dear children ask their dear Father. We can go to Him and ask Him for these things. But prayer primarily, or I guess essentially, when you say, you know, if you hear from like, if you ever go to a Shakespearean play, anyone says, pray tell, right? Or something like that. Pray, tell me what, so they're asking. It's like, please tell me this, or please do this for me. Uh, pray, what are you doing here, sort of thing. It's, it's a request for something. It's an asking for something. And that's what Paul is doing here. Um, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, that's what Paul does here in Colossians. Look at that. Go to verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, And he goes on from there. Like, that's his full thanksgiving. And then he moves on to verse 9. And so, right, giving thanks for you, to uh, giving thanks to God for you. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? So that's really what it's all about. It's thanking God and then asking for more. Uh, I'm because the opposite. What's that? I'm asking first and then thanking. <laughs> you can say thank you for hearing me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you that you will hear this prayer. Yeah, that's fine too. But yeah, as 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 long as there's thanksgiving and requests bound together, I think that's the most important point. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very good. So notice the things that Paul is praying for and remember that our prayers are also a confession of what we lack. We ask the Lord for the things that we don't need. What did the Colossians need? According to verse 9 there. What did they need? Wisdom and understanding. Yeah. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right. All spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? Yeah, yeah, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because the knowledge of his will is only part of the issue. They need the spiritual wisdom and the understanding that goes along with that, right? Um, Which is why, 
you'll see a lot of people, and, and this is fine, you know, you can be a Christian and, you know, know your Ten Commandments, know your Apostles' Creed, know your Lord's Prayer, um, and, and know about baptism and, and um, confession, absolution, the Lord's Supper, all these things like that, um, and you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine with all those things. You will be a Christian. And then, on top of that, though, there's more wisdom that goes along with it, too. So you know your Ten Commandments, what are the explanations, right? How far do they really reach into you as to show you what God's will is for you, right? It takes wisdom to say, hey, the, the fifth commandment is, sorry, the fourth commandment is not just about your mom and your dad. It's about all the authorities, right? Uh, hey, the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, you know, is not just about actually taking a knife or a gun to somebody or poisoning them. It's about also making sure that you don't murder them in your heart, right? And hate them with, with, with you know, wrath and, and, you know, things that desire wicked things for them. Um, so it, it, that requires wisdom, yeah? So we want all these things, and we pray that God would give us all these things, yeah? That's what the Colossians need. Um, and, and I think this is mainly to point out just how much, much more richly our prayer life can be filled out, right? Because do y'all, uh, I mean, you don't have to say it, just to kind of answer within yourselves, I guess. Do y'all pray like this? Do y'all pray that you say, I pray that God would fill us in this church and my family and, and with the fullness of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want it all. You say, I want it all. Do we pray like that? No, but we I don't think I pray like that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Most of the time I pray just like, God, just help me get through the day. Right? Uh, God, give me the strength to deal with what I've got to deal with. Right? Uh, as, as opposed to just say, God, give it all to me. Give, give me everything that you have promised. Right? Yeah, give me everything you've promised. That's what, what he wants. It to what's be. the harm? I know. Right? What's you the harm? You do not receive because you do not ask. That's right. Yeah. That's from James, right? Yeah. You do not receive because you do not ask. Uh, and so it's like, and maybe there's a part of that too. It's like, if it's on the forefront of our mind when we're asking, we'll be more apt to seek it. And he'll be more apt to show us. He's always ready to do so, right? But if we're, if... If we have it on the forefront of our minds, like St. Paul has here, you know, that I, I, I want all of this for you. I don't want just some of it. I don't want just enough to where you're going to be okay for the rest of the day. <laughs> I, you know, our daily bread is important, but I want it all for you, right? Because that's what God offers. That's what he offers. What do you think about that? Uh, he, he knows what we want. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we just say, you know, I can't think of the words, God, but you know what we need and what we want. Sure. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes I guess for, it's kind of interesting. Prayer, prayer is like, prayer is such a mystery, um, I think, because you, you are, in a sense, giving something to God in a petition, right? You're giving him this request for all these things. And in the same time, you are being fed with the reassurance that he hears you. It's this great reciprocal act of prayer because God moves you to do so, right? 
He moves you by his love and his grace and, and all that he supplies to you in faith, right? Which is faith, you know, he supplies your faith itself. From all these things, there's an outpouring of a request and yet you're still being fed. Like you never give until you're empty because every time you give, he keeps giving back with prayer. It's just a wonderful thing um, that the more, I, I, I find that the more that I'm in God's word, the better my prayers get. Um, and that while I'm praying, I'm just simply speaking back what God has already spoken. And with that, I get to hear. And so it's, it's like it, it barely leaves my mouth before it goes right back into me. You know, to say, oh, yeah, I'm not only reminding him of his promises, but I'm reminding myself. And in that sense, he's just doing it all. He's reminding me according to the word and according to his promise. It's just this great mysterious relationship between you and God when you're talking about these things to him and him immediately saying, whoop, don't forget that. Whoop, don't forget that. Right. Don't forget how I've promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Right. When you say, God, you have promised never to leave me nor 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 forsake me. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind for the rest of the day. Uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So I pray that that would kind of help you to maybe not like chastise. Well, I guess you could chastise yourself for the good things, right? You know, discipline yourself in your prayers and say, maybe if I read a psalm today, what what part of that psalm or what part of this New Testament um, book can I just insert in a prayer? You know, like St. Paul here in Colossians 1.9 when he says that I have not ceased to pray, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why well, don't just add that to your prayers today, right? God, I pray that you would fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and, and understanding. Just I mean, just have 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 that as a have that as a part of it. See what happens. I challenge you. See what happens. Yeah. You know, open my mind to actually hear your to your wisdom. Yeah. 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 And help me to grow in it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, all right. This is our last bit right here. Philippians 1 9. So there's a little bit before Colossians, Philippians 1 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all under discernment. All discernment, right. All. I yeah, all. The word all. Right, all again. Yeah, totally. I never realized that. It always says all. Yeah, right. So. Not just some, not just enough, but give me all of it, right? Read, so we just read that. What did the Philippians need? What do they need? All of what? Discernment, love, knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Yeah. Maybe maybe add that into your prayers too today. Yeah. That you say, even just very simply, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given to me. I pray that your love may abound more and more or that... My love that you have given to me, right? That you have loved me with, you know, that 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 even brings to more scripture, you know, brings to mind more scripture. I love because you first loved me, right? So you say that my love, which you have placed in my heart, that you've given me first and foremost, right, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Amen. Simple, straightforward. 
Yeah. Um, so now, um, any any thoughts about that question before we close here with this last bit? Okay. Well, this to close us out for today from the formula of Concord Solid Declaration. It writes. Uh, it reads. These prayers and passages concerning, concerning our ignorance and, and, and inability have been written for us, not for the purpose of rendering us idle and remiss in reading, hearing, and meditating upon God's word, but first that we should thank God from the heart that by his Son he has delivered us from the darkness of ignorance and the, and the captivity of sin and death, and through baptism and the Holy Ghost regenerated and, and illumined us. And after God, through the Holy Ghost in baptism, has kindled and effected a beginning of the true knowledge of God and faith, we should pray him without ceasing that through the same Spirit and his grace, by means of the daily exercise of reading and practicing God's word, he would preserve in us faith and his heavenly gifts, strengthen us from day to day, and keep us to the end. For unless God himself be our schoolmaster, we can study and learn nothing that is acceptable to him and salutary to ourselves and to others. Ah, that, that last part is just wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. Unless God himself be our schoolmaster, we can study and learn nothing that is acceptable to him and salutary to ourselves and to others. God's got to come first on these things, right? You can read... All the books in the world, you, know, you can read all the classics, you can, you can read all the Greek tragedies and Shakespeare and, and, and you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh or whatever. It's like you can read all these things and all self-help books and, and devotion books or whatever. Maybe devotion books are fine because they have to deal with scripture, right? But so you can read all these things. I could read all my commentaries and all that Luther says in my study in there, but if I'm not also being, but being first and foremost, actually, fed by God's word, all that doesn't, doesn't mean anything, right? But then again, reading Luther and the commentaries have to do with God's word too, right? So I guess anything like philosophy or science or any of this stuff, right? Politics, none of that really matters in comparison to what we know about God's word revealed to us, yeah? Any... any Thoughts about this? Any questions? See, we didn't stay down. <laughs> we went up. Yeah, we went up again. Yeah. You know, I, you said at the beginning, you know, that there's a, a lot of people don't like Lutheranism because it's so down. And I've, I've talked with uh, people um, that were in the Lutheran church when they were small, when they were young, and they come away from it, you know, just, oh, all I hear about is sin, sin, sin. And... And I thought, did they leave during Lent? Yeah. Did they? Did they, did they yeah. just not? Or or was maybe the the minister that they were sitting under, or the church body itself, didn't proclaim and pray and 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 help them with? I mean, 
Not that we can do anything, but <laughs> we can certainly extend God's word to people that are thinking, I'm just a worm and I don't like that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was in, in preparation for the sermon tonight. Um, you know, Luther stresses, uh, you know, just as a preview for tonight, Jacob wrestling with the angel or really with God, right? Because he says, I've seen God face to face and, 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 have, and my life has been spared, right? Um, that he wrestles with God. And, in, and just I'm going to talk about how that's, that's our life as a Christian, right? We wrestle, we strive with God. Um, and it's not always fun, right? Oftentimes it's very painful. Um, but Luther stressed, he said, pastors really need to be mindful of the fact that you're going to have people in the congregation who are being tossed around by God. God is chastening them and making them feel horrible for their good, strangely enough. Yeah. And so you need to remind them that you need to hold God to his promises. What does he promise to do? Um, maybe I'll even touch on it tonight, but I thought it was just amazing. I was reading last night, Luther was like, he said, um, even if God, and this is just a fantastic way of thinking about it, I never, never would have thought of this. He said that as Abraham held God to his promises, right? When he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? That Hebrews tells us that he knew, he believed, he trusted that God would raise him from the dead. Mm -hmm. And Luther expounds upon that a little bit by saying, um, if, you know, that Abraham believed that if, if he could bring a son forth from an old sterile womb, then he could bring him up from ashes too, because God can do anything he wants. And so it's not that he said anything, but I would imagine he thought it, right? He thought, what is going to happen? But he had to hold on to God's promise that he would make him the father of many nations, right? And so he said, so with that, with that same faith, if God were even to come to us right now, he said, if God were to come to me right now, pick me up and throw me into hell, I would still trust that I would be saved because I'm baptized. Because he has promised to save me. And I'm going to hold him to his promises because I know that he will not lie to me. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful way of looking at things that in the midst of you know, despair and darkness, you should be reminded of God's promises. Um, that in being baptized, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. In receiving Holy Communion, you are fed the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that your feelings right now will be fleeting. They'll come and they'll go, but God's promise will endure and will lead you through it all, right? So yeah, I wonder how much encouragement they maybe didn't get, people who left the Lutheran Church. Maybe they also just, no matter how much encouragement they got, Satan just tickled their ears to the point where they just couldn't resist. I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
And it's very sad when people leave. Oh, yeah. Um, because I think... They left during Lent. I'm yeah, sure. right, during Lent, maybe. <laughs> but Lent is also about reminding you about know, God's graces, right? I know, right? I'm just being silly. Yeah, I know, but, right. Yeah, but I, and I think I saw something where recently I, I saw this thing where this guy said, I used to go to a Lutheran day school and and then I left because, I left as soon as I could because I remembered the pastor saying, you know, that um, we should we should pray for all the people in Africa who haven't been baptized because they're going to hell. And he's like, I couldn't stand that, so I got to get out of here. Well, I mean, so you don't know your Bible, right? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And if you're baptized, that stands to reason that you believe, right? So it's like to say that they're not baptized, it's like, well, they're probably going to hell. And you say, well, yeah, I know I, know, I, know I don't know their hearts, but that's one of those things of saying God has given these things for a reason. He's given baptism. He's given his word. He's given all these things for assurance and comfort and salvation. And when you say, you know, I can't, I can't abide a pastor who would say that if you're, not, if you're not baptized, then you're probably going to hell. It's like, well, then you can't abide the Bible. You can't abide God's word. And so it's really sad to see people think that they know better, right? That they know what God's will is. And in some sense, you know what happens with those people? I, and I hate, uh, I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted to say this. I don't, I don't relish in saying this, but when people say, oh, you don't need baptism to be saved, right? Um, there are special circumstances, right? The thief on the cross and things like that. But to say you just don't need baptism to be saved, right? or you don't need God's word to be preached for God to save you or love you or whatever, you say, okay, so you're more loving than God is then, right? I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, that I'm more loving than God. I know what needs to happen better than God does. He gave us baptism. Who needs it? He gave us his word. Who needs it? I know better. I'll just let him be. <laughs> you just go, no, that's not the way it goes. You do what God, you know, has given you to do and, and know that those things are good, right? Don't think that they're constraining you. They're like the lowest possible bar. <laughs> the lowest possible bar is to get a little bit of water and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Believe that you are saved now and washed of all your sin, washed clean of all your sin. That's a high bar to set? I don't know. It's just kind of funny, right? I mean, people have all kinds of ways of justifying their 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 yeah. apostasy, right, or their their un, their unbelief. But and that's for, why I smoothed your witness. It said how people are leaving the church. Yep. Yeah. What did it say about that? I'm just curious. I didn't read the whole article. Okay. <laughs> okay. Be pressing. Yeah, I don't know. Um. Um. But they're leaving all churches. It's not just yeah. Lutheranism. No, it, I think that's what they were saying. Yeah, yeah that's true. People are leaving all churches. Yeah, it's true. But at the same time, I guess we can't we can't worry about about why people are leaving the Baptists or the Methodists or the Episcopalian or whatever church. We got to worry like why are they leaving our church? If we believe rightfully so, I think if we believe that we are the if, you know, and people don't like, if some people may, may not like me say this, but like, I, I believe the Lutheran church, even though we have Lutheran, right? We are the Christian church. Like we have the pure doctrine that we are the visible church, right? Yeah. In the sense the that. Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. 
Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Those, yeah. So yeah, I'll say those those who are truly Lutheran by adhering to the scriptures and the Lutheran exactly. confessions of, of yeah. saying, you know, this is how we understand the Bible. It is the word of God, and all these things like that, right? But we are everyone who agrees, I guess, with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, right? Because we're in fellowship with other Lutheran church bodies too, that who are agreement in that doctrine, we are the visible church on earth, right? That we are the visible church. You're going to get the truth here. Um, and ideally. some people don't like the truth. That's very true. I mean, that's what I was just going to go to. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to hear how sinful you are. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. But you have that's to true. Come and somebody else to solve your sin problem. Yeah. yeah. I can do it myself. Exactly. Well, there's that, but I think, you know. I keep I keep getting into these generational issues and and um, but I think I think they're worthwhile. Like when we had um, the doors here, remember um, um, the, uh, John and 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 Gail Door. They're from Iowa. Um, He's very outspoken. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> remember? Yeah. 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 Anyways, they sat, right? um, yeah. they sat. They sat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know what um, last name was. We were talking about generational differences and. Um, you know, there's there's the boomer generation, the Gen X, millennial, Gen Z, whatever. You know, it just kind of goes from oldest to the youngest. Um, and, you know, the boomer mentality is, is you know, you're self-sufficient. You pick yourself up by the bootstraps, right? You do what's got to be done. And um, that may have worked in a world that was, you know, not so crazy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That may have worked in a world where you're actually in confusion about who's a man and who's a woman. You know, like it may have worked in a world that was that didn't have to deal with that issue, right? But in this world, where the basics of truth, like because y'all had the basics of truth to understand, like you just you you go to work, you do your job, you take care of your family, you pay your bills, you do what's given you to do, and and you know you go to church and you. Give to your church, you support your church, whatever, you pray for people if you're a Christian, that sort of thing. That's a generational issue, whereas now, that's not really cutting it. To have that expectation of the younger generation that's full of despair, the younger generation that looks around, seriously, the, the Gen, Gen Z, the, the people in their like 20s right now and their teens, they are probably the most depressed generation that has been around in a long, long time because they see the prosperity is gone. Um, they see things as hopeless. And they're not wrong in some sense, but they are wrong in the big sense in that there needs to be hope given to them. And if the church is not giving them hope, the church is not doing its job, right? So if you have a church, and this also goes for the Missouri Synod too, if the Missouri Synod is not giving them hope, um, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a temporal sense as well, right? If they're not giving them hope for salvation, for community, for family, because a lot of Gen Z kids are coming from homes of divorce, mm -hmm. despair, things like that, you know, a lot, you know, abuse, whatever, and, and they're addicted to technology, pornography, all kinds of stuff. And when you have people that tut-tut those things or don't address those things, the church doesn't address those things, and try and help them out of those things, if they only kind of say, well, I'll pray for you, you know, 
you're kind of no better than what James talked about with the rich members of the congregation going up to the poor people and just telling them, be well and be fed. Be warm and be fed and not doing anything to actually help them. You know, I wonder what our church could be doing more of that would help the younger generations stay. Right? What can we do to help them to stay here and to help them to know we are your family in Christ? Right? What can I do for you as a father in the faith, as a mother in the faith, as a fellow brother and sister in Christ? What can I do for you? I will pray for you. That's my default. But you want me to, like, do you want to go out to lunch sometime? Right? You want to have some coffee sometime? You want to come over sometime and just hang out, just talk? Right? I mean, that's what the younger generations are craving. And I don't necessarily know if, you know, we haven't, I guess we're not, we're just not, as a church at large, I wonder if we're not as quite as attuned to that as we need to be, right? They how, don't know what families are. Right, so how they can we teach them? They don't know what living together, compromising, true, unconditional right. love is. So how can we teach them? That's the question, right? We need to bring them into our homes and yep. hopefully, hopefully we can do the things that, the Lord wants us to do to by God's that. strength, right? By God's strength and all wisdom and discernment, right? And in and, and the knowledge of Him, yeah. All the things we were praying for, uh, Paul Paul was praying for in Colossians and and Philippians, right? That that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Yeah, that's what we need um, because I think we're falling short. We're falling short because there because. Sad to say, confirmation classes are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's really, some of these bigger churches, these older churches you'll go to, they have confirmation classes posted up on the wall. And you see all the way back from like the 40s or, you know, the 30s, even further back, they got these big confirmation classes. And then the further along you go, the smaller they get to where you get to the 90s, you got about 10 kids. And then you get to the 2000s, you got about five kids. And now you got about two or three. Smaller right. families, though, too. That's a big problem, too. I think. You know, I think. I think that's another another issue that that really needs to be encouraged. People people need to be encouraged to have kids. Well, they need to get married first. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I was going to say Absolutely. too about the the thirty the, the the Gen Z's parents need to go back and say, yeah, you might have had a bad marriage or your parents had a bad marriage, but. Marriage is still viable and it needs to happen rather yes. than oh I don't I don't need to marry. Don't have the babies first. And that's part of this this and that's this part trend of towards serial monogamy without marriage. Right. What the heck? Yeah. How, and, how do you how do you the, raise children in that mess? No, I you can't you can't in a good and godly way. You cannot but the, the, the other thing is that that's that's part of repentance too, is that the older generations, if we've fallen if if, if we've failed in some way we need to own up to it and say, you know, whatever I didn't do right, help me to see what I can make good of it now, right? Uh, because I, if, if there's one thing, and I'll use her as an example, Nancy Timmer is a wonderful woman, and I think a good and godly woman in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that I think she's a good and godly woman is that she's told me some of her shortcomings, and she's told me, you know, some of her failures with, uh, you know, keeping the faith or teaching the faith with her son and things like that. And she's thankful that he, you know, because he died when he was fairly young, 
Um, and she was just thankful that in spite of her failures, that he went to college and met Christian friends and, you know, he was baptized and everything like that, right? And, and she said, and, and she's not quiet about it. She owns up to it. And she says, I failed. And I'm telling other people this because I don't want them to fail. Right? And maybe that's what we need to do is to say, we have fallen short, and wherever we've fallen short, God, show it to us. Open our eyes to see the wondrousness of your law, to say, I've fallen short, I didn't do it right the first time, I'm not going to say it's no big deal, but I'm going to do what I can to try and help those that I can help. Right? That's repentance, and that is faith. Um, and maybe we could do more of that within the Missouri Synod, instead of just saying, well, water under the bridge let's just move on it's like yeah you move on by owning up to it not not continually flogging yourself oh i so i screwed up i screwed up i screwed up and saying i sinned i messed up i did not do what god gave me to do i was not a good steward of the gifts that he had given me god what can i do now what can i do now i may not be able to do anything with my own children or i may not be able to do anything with um you know my own family even but there's probably a young family at church that needs help. What can I do for them? How can I not just pray for them, but tell them, hey, I've been praying for you. You want to get a cup of coffee sometime? or, or you know, um, you Well, know. and these parents need to learn how to tell their kids, no, that's not right. Right. Um, I know a couple of my grandkids, one, well, they, two of them were living with somebody and um, I didn't agree with that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I told him. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm a God-fearing person, and this is not right. That's this not right. is not what God intended. That's right. And sure enough, one of them got married, uh -huh. and the other one broke it off with that. Thanks be to God. <laughs> thanks, thanks be to God. I don't know if it had anything to do with that, but I, don't know. I just, I just told. But him. you weren't silent, and that's the thing. We yeah. can't, can't be silent about these things. You know, um, what is it? that the Pharisees told Jesus when, when he was coming into Jerusalem, he says, Rabbi, rebuke your, rebuke your disciples, because they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Right? Yeah. So we need to not be silent, uh, lest, lest God shame us by making the stones speak the truth. Right? <laughs> so... All that is to say, you know, this this world is crazy. This this world is full of sin and decay and death. But um, we who have been given the light of Christ have hope. We who uh, who know His truth and the truth has set us free. We, as long as we have life and breath, we should praise God and speak His truth to all people, and especially to our fellow. Christians to encourage them, to pray for them, to help them in word and deed in whatever way God has given us to do, right? Don't think you can't do anything. You can at least pray, yeah? Yeah. I would like to say to each and every one of you, and you especially, okay. or, or equally, but you all have shown me Christ-like ways. I don't have to worry about if my hair's straight, if I'm wearing a mink coat, if I've got shoes on, or, or how much money I make or don't make, y'all make me feel so comfortable. 
I love each of you. Thanks for your hair. I couldn't help. I couldn't help. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, you say anything you want to do. That's right. That's right. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that, Cheryl. Um, well, we're we're out of time. Uh, next time we'll go to part part three and see what more we have to get into about free will, um, our will as opposed to God's will. More of that, but also um, Martin Luther on our sinful condition and our fitness for freedom. Uh, and then before conversion, heart of stone, and so on and so forth. So prepare for next time by going through part three, and we'll discuss all those things as well. Let's close now with, uh, uh, with the Lord's Prayer. Okay? So uh, taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.